Hey there, everybody. How you doing? Are you having a good week? I hope you're having a good week. I hope that you're getting a lot of things done. And I hope that you're having some fun, too. Today, I wanted to continue the discussion I was having in the last episode, episode 17, about the word fame and how it related to my life and how my view of fame has changed over the years. Now, since we're talking about the word fame, I figured it would be appropriate to begin this episode with a definition, the definition of the word fame. I probably should have done it in the previous episode and hadn't thought it out that much. I was just kind of talking. So the definition of fame, according to the new Oxford American Dictionary, which is a very thick and reliable book printed in millions, and we are going to trust it as a reliable source for Information. Um, the word fame, F A M E. The first definition the condition of being known or talked about by many people, especially on account of notable achievements. Famous for having or being. Now, having read that definition, I'm going to look up another word infamous. So, infamous, definition, well-known for some bad quality or deed. That's infamy. Okay, and I guess we'll go with a third definition for the word famous. F-A-M-O-U-S, famous. Known about by many people. Having no recognizable or distinct reason for one's fame other than high media exposure. Now, I want to clarify something before I continue with my talk about fame. And what I want to say is this, that while you, the listener, may or may not be familiar with my music or familiar with any of the other things that I've created, there are quite a few people who are and have been my whole life they've followed me and they cared about what I was making and put out into the public okay I don't know uh, how familiar you are with me okay but I would imagine that if you're listening to this you've probably heard of me okay And something you need to understand is that even though this may be the first time you've ever heard of me, I've been an active artist and creator and musician since I was 14. And I'm 45 years old right now as I'm talking to you. And I never stopped. Okay? So I would argue that I have actually suffered my own version of fame throughout my life. Granted, it's on a very small level at times. It's gotten bigger at certain times, and it's gone back to where it was. 
I never really seemed to pop, but all of the projects that I've been associated with have enjoyed some kind of success in the public domain, okay? And that's a blessing, and that is something that I'm very, very, very grateful for, but it's true. Every project since I was 14 years old, up until now, has enjoyed a certain amount of success in the public domain. So, my name and my music and all the different things that I've created at one point or another were in the public domain or are in the public domain and they're accepted by other people as good or uh, of a certain quality and worthy of paying attention to. Okay? And like I said, I'm very grateful for that because I really do feel that although not everything I've made has been really great, the majority of the things I've made have always been at least at a certain standard of quality. Some better than others, but I think I've consistently maintained a standard of quality as an artist and a musician and as a songwriter. Just saying. Is it ego? Absolutely not, because I have nothing, nothing to be egotistical about. I wouldn't be justified in having an ego and being egotistical and uh, thinking that I'm something that I'm not. I'm, I'm not justified in that. I know exactly what I am. I know exactly where I am. I know exactly what level I'm at. And there's no room for ego. Now, saying I don't have an ego, I have to also say that that doesn't mean I don't want my work to be successful and to be good. And it doesn't mean that I think that all of my work is bad. I do think that a lot of my work is really good. But that's still not a reason to have an ego. I mean, there's always a lot of room to get better. And I have no illusions about that. And I never have. And... While I may have some ego or something, it's really just probably at the same level that everybody else's is at. And it has no reason to be otherwise. I just, I want to succeed. I want to make good art. I want to make people happy and make things that people enjoy. And I've made some things that have done that. And I enjoy some of them too. Is that an ego? No. I'm pretty much where I'm going to be, I think. I I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? But there you go. So, uh, in the last episode, I had explained that I was in uh, two bands when I was younger. My first two working bands that got paid to perform in front of audiences. And uh, the first band was Rotary 10. The second band was Thumper Incorporated. And with each one of those bands, it kind of like stepped up. The level of buzz around the bands that I was playing in just got gradually bigger and bigger. Okay, so with each band, it got a little bit crazier. 
And I'll expand on all of those different groups that I was a part of eventually. Like in, the, in this discussion, I'll touch on all of them and explain to you exactly what was going on and what happened. Uh, with the third time that I had a whiff of fame, um, it was actually the inception of Pipe Choir. Okay? And um, the story goes something like this. Okay? Now, I explained that Thumper Incorporated had released a uh, 7-inch vinyl record. Okay? Well, we had to record that record. So, this was officially my first recording studio experience. Okay? And, uh... What wound up happening was we were going into the studio to record four tracks, four songs that we had, two for each side of this little vinyl 7-inch, two songs on each side. And so we're in the studio setting up, right? And um, what wound up happening was the the engineer at the studio who was also the owner, it was a very small studio. Um, he and I wound up kind of like hitting it off. Like while we were waiting for everybody to get set up and everything. And, you know, I'm kind of sitting there. I was ready to go because they had a drum set in the studio. What he had in his studio was a set of those octagon shaped, uh, electronic drums, those Simmons drums, that didn't require any microphones or anything. They were easier to record and they didn't make any noise and they were hilarious. Okay. I mean, it was, a uh, for all intents and purposes, it was functional and it worked, but it was really a disaster. Uh, if you ask me, okay, it was, it was a mistake. He should have had live drums. Just saying. So while I'm sitting there waiting for everybody to get set up, and it, it would probably take about, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe an hour even sometimes to get everything plugged in and tuned up and all this kind of stuff and talking and goofing around and stuff. So while this is going on, we're waiting for everybody to kind of wrap up. And I see that he had a keyboard set up in the studio that the bands could use if they wanted to use them on their recordings or whatever. So I go over to this keyboard while everybody's kind of setting up and whatever, and I start playing around on this keyboard. And I was just kind of like goofing around, you know, just ad-libbing, you know, um, making something up and just kind of playing, just to play, just to hear what the keyboard sounded like. And so I'm playing and everything, and I kind of noticed that the room went quiet and so I looked up and everybody had stopped doing what they were doing and they were all all my band members and and the owner of the studio they're all standing around me like staring at me like I think maybe even a little freaked out like they didn't realize that I knew how to play a piano and I thought that that was really kind of funny. I thought they knew, but they were shocked. And they're like, dude, you, you've got to put that on the record. 
And I'm like, you think? I'm like, no, I was just, I was just goofing around. You know, I was just making it up. I wanted to hear what the keyboard sounded like. And they're like, no, 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 no. You've got to put that on the record. So the engineer at the studio is like, can you play that again? And I'm like, yeah, I can play it again. So he puts up the tape, you know, hits record and I start playing and that song wound up going, <laughs> wound up being the opener for the seven inch vinyl. Now that kind of like freaked me out because I, I was not expecting that at all. And they weren't either. Okay. But that started this whole process. Okay. Of, um, this relationship with me and this engineer, you know, like, like he kind of, he was kind of digging the fact that I was a multi-instrumentalist. Like he thought that was cool because, uh, he was a musician himself, you know, and he was a really cool guy just a super, super nice guy and really funny, you know, but, um, he had really great sensibilities about sound and and treatments of sounds and much more advanced than anybody that we knew. Um, so what wound up happening was him and I became friends, like I said, and, uh, we wound up like getting together away from the band, like on off days and stuff. We became friends. Actually, I got along with him better than some of my bandmates. So he's like, why don't you come down to the studio like on Friday or something? And I don't have a session booked or anything. And he's like, let's just jam. And I'm like, okay, you know, cool. I'll do it. So I show up and he's like, so, you know, do you have any, anything you want to record? Do you have any ideas? And I'm like, well, I had this one guitar idea. He's like, you know, you play guitar, you know? Yeah, I play guitar. And here's how it goes. You know, here's a song I was messing around with, you know, because I was always writing songs. I mean, I was always making music when I was alone and uh, I just didn't have a means to record it or anything. But, you know, I was always picking up a guitar and working on something, you know, making up something. I wasn't very good at playing other people's music, you know, as far as guitar and keyboards are concerned. I... I enjoyed playing my own ideas more than I enjoyed playing other people's ideas. So I played on this song. I had a couple of songs I thought that were pretty good. They were pretty similar to each other. But, um, you know, we just started tracking this song, you know, put a guitar track down. He puts a guitar track down uh, over it. I put a drum beat in, he's engineering, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I sang, I did everything I heard in my head. And, uh, it was the first time I had an opportunity to do that, you know, to, to make up a drum beat and play it and then play my guitars to that drum beat, you know, and then sing to that guitar and drum beat and then put in keyboards and play bass and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It just blew my mind, you know, this experience. And then, and then, you know, pressing play and listening to the whole thing, you know, coming back at you. You know, you get to you get to hear this idea that you made up in your head, right? 
well, that was like a really great experience. And, and him and I just were just having fun. You know, just two guys who love music and had a recording studio at their disposal, just having some fun recording, you know. So I go home with this cassette tape with these songs on there. I think there were two songs. So I had a song called Sleep slash Savior, and then I had a song called Waterfall. Those were the three tracks on this cassette tape, this demo that I had. And one of them was kind of like, um, had like a little intro part that I was considering it to be like a separate kind of song, it was, even though it was short. And it was, it, it flowed right into this other song. And then I had a third idea, which was very similar to the first one, you know. They were all very similar. They were all written in the same key. They were all written at the same time, you know. And, uh... So anyway, I go home with this cassette tape, and I thought it was cool. It sounded okay. You know, it was just a fun experience, and um, I had a girlfriend at the time, and uh, she was with me while I was playing it, and she just was staring at me, you know, like, like kind of like confused, you know, looking at me listening to the song looking at me listening to the song and she didn't even say anything okay she pressed stop and she grabbed the tape and she took off and she went and played it for all of her friends like she went that moment and went and played it for a bunch of her friends and everybody started to freak out okay now I couldn't really figure out why, because to me it was just kind of like an exercise. It was just a fun thing to do. But this song that I recorded went crazy, okay? And from that came this huge wave of attention, okay? And what kind of sucked was, at the same time, my band members were kind of, like, uncomfortable with it. And they were not jealous, but they were, like, there were sour grapes. You know, they weren't, they weren't supportive and proud and happy. They were kind of, like, kind of, like, snubbing me. You know? So... With this music that I had made, I was kind of like on my own. It was it was out of control. Like, I guess I should explain that at the time in Thumper Incorporated, you know, I was the guy who was making all the phone calls, setting up the gigs, setting up the photo shoots, like doing all that kind of stuff. I mean, I didn't do all of it, but I did most of it, okay? And... Um, I was on the phone with record companies and management companies and public relations firms and all these different kinds of industry people, you know, trying to push my band, you know. So I was on the phone all the time and I was, you know, my address book was filled 
with phone numbers of industry people that I had established relationships with. And so I was working on behalf of Thumper Incorporated. And after this recording was made, I started to push that as well. So I was pushing both projects. I mean, I had been working hard at pushing Thumper Incorporated, and now I was just simultaneously going to push my side project, okay? And it was because of that effort, I found myself in a situation where these two bands that I was involved with were going neck and neck. They were actually competing with each other, which in hindsight was probably a mistake. But, you know, you got to push what you got. I mean, you got to try to make it happen, right? And that's what I was trying to do. But it didn't mean I cared less about Thumper. I was very dedicated to that band. But I think it started to stir up tension uh, between my bandmates and myself. It was out of control. How fast and how intense it got just around this little cassette tape that I had made. And this little cassette tape, this little song that this guy and I had made in the studio that day wound up going on to commercial radio, which probably doesn't sound like much now, but back in the day, it was like almost impossible to get your music on commercial radio. Okay. Now, what's notable here is that the band that I was in, the band that I was drumming in, didn't make it onto commercial radio. Okay. But my little goof, my little side project thing that I was doing, wound up making it onto commercial radio. And it just took off. The song just took off. And within maybe a month, it had blossomed into this crazy thing. Okay? But what was different about this as opposed to playing in Thumper was now even my family members were starting to get weird around me. Okay? It it felt like it felt like everybody was kind of looking at me differently and they were kind of like like they knew I would make it. Like this guy's going to make it. This is good. You know, this is really good. And I was kind of like a deer in the headlights, you know? But it was it was real. I mean, it was really happening, you know? Um and that that little cassette tape, okay, that little cassette tape sent me to New York City uh, to shop it to record labels. And I was sitting down with uh, Warner Brothers, Atco East West, uh, Amago Records was one of the labels I talked to, uh, Roadrunner Records I met with, um, TVT. Yeah, that's right. TVT was one of them. There were like five, maybe more. uh, I think there were five uh, record labels that I literally went to New York, sat down with somebody. They listened to my music. We talked about things. And I did actually have interest. But here's what my major dilemma was. 
okay? Uh, while my song was good, I didn't have a band. And I didn't have the resources for follow-up material to hand off to these record companies. And that was really kind of what they needed. They heard the first song, they were interested, but they needed more. And I needed to be able to showcase the music live, and I didn't have a band. And that was my big problem. Well, you know, maybe or maybe not, I don't know, because I still don't have a band. But I did eventually get a band together to play pipe choir music, and... I'll tell you that story in a little bit, because it's definitely part of the story. But anyway, this cassette tape I did just kind of spiraled into this craziness, okay? And that contingency of people that I'm talking about that were being ushered into our lives, at the time I thought were there because of Thumper Incorporated. But I think I realize a little bit now that my song, having hit the bullseye, like it did, had gotten the attention of a very powerful group of people. And in hindsight, looking back on it now, I think that's why they were there. They were there to find out what my deal was and where I was coming from. Now, as you can probably imagine, okay, when all this was shaken down with this song that I had, um... And, you know, Pipe Choir was born and was officially established as, an, as a group, as a project, uh, kind of out of nowhere. Um, what happened was, I mean, I can look back on it now with clarity and certainty. Hindsight is twenty twenty vision, right? Um, it just kind of seemed like as soon as this song I had uh, hit the bullseye, Everything around me in my personal life started to go downhill. My relationships with people did. Uh, my girlfriend turned on me, you know, my girlfriend of three or four years, the same one who was so excited about that cassette tape, wound up, well, let's just say we broke up. There were other guys that she was more interested in. And this is all while this is happening. Okay, this is all happening at the exact same time. So my long-term relationship is ending. My family's getting weird around me. My bandmates are turning on me. Our audience is starting to decline. And my song is doing better than anything I've ever done before. Okay? And like I said, I'm in New York City. And it actually took me to South by Southwest. I was at South by Southwest you know, meeting industry people and shopping my music to people and making friends and connections and networking and all this stuff while my bandmates were back at home, you know, hanging out or doing whatever. And if you don't think that created tension, <laughs> let me tell you, wow, you know, and it wasn't overt. They weren't like, you know, outright nasty but it was just kind of like this tone of sarcasm and um, kind of downplaying the seriousness of what I was doing. And, and uh, it was the beginning of the end. 
I think, for Thumper, and it was obviously the beginning of Pipe Choir. But, uh, so, that's all I'm going to talk about for uh, this episode right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it up right now, and we'll pick it up in the next episode. And I'll continue on with this story. I'll talk to you about uh, a little more about New York City, a little more about South by Southwest and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'll talk about putting together a live band for Pipe Choir and how that went. So for now, this is Mike Bostwick signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.